welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Excited to be back as we're wrapping up. Actually, the point of wrapping the, or doing these bumpers, we're wrapping up the month of February. Seems like this winter is going by so fast. I want to do a couple quick updates before we get into our discussion. Um, as far as what's going on here at the farm, the boys and I recently castrated our purchased piglets. I'm be honest with you with all the things going on i can't remember if i discussed <laughs> buying piglets or not but if it did if i didn't let's ro- real quick recap because of our bad fairing which i know i mentioned that uh we we still wanted to have piglets so we went down to copper penny farm uh, we've actually had molly on the podcast before bought uh, 11 uh, red wattles from her and uh, seven of those were still intact so uh, this uh, last week, we were able to cut those. That's the oldest I've ever cut piglets. They were about eight weeks old, and we usually uh, cut ours in the first week. So uh, a little different, a little interesting. Obviously changed my process a little bit since they were bigger, uh, but all went really well. In fact, um, Kelly, who was running the camera at that point, because we may or may not do a video on YouTube. We'll see how the, the YouTube weirdos can handle um, a little bit of farm work that way. But... Um, she was surprised. She said, you know, that actually went way smoother than than I expected it to. So um, uh, very, very simple, well, not simple, but a very clean process uh, went fairly well, especially with having the help of the boys catching the piglets up as I would uh, do the work. But um, as far as other things going on, the uh, I just want to throw out again the mention of the Pastured Pig website business directory. So far, we've had 48 farms fill out the information and post it. And as I mentioned, as if you get in there and look, you can see how the farms are, are sharing their information. There's a lot of information opportunity for you to put in there. And the reason why I underscore this is there's search engine optimization benefits to this. So if you want people to, um, if you want to take advantage of the benefit of, of another website having this information, uh, then feel free to get in there and put that information in. Uh, you can add pictures, you can add your logo, your website, all your social media links, a little description, tell a little bit about what you do, all that type of stuff. And if you want to make a change, you have the ability to edit that because you'll actually set up just a simple username and password in that process. So check that out, thepasturedpig.com. And also I would be remiss if I didn't mention our Patreon uh, Still, uh, obviously, you're looking for that support. We're trying to pass that 40-member threshold, um, and we're getting close. But uh, what we're going to do March the 13th, um, we're going to do another uh, live chat. So uh, we did this a couple months ago where any, any Patreon at any level uh, can join us in this live chat on the 13th. And we'll discuss quite a few things. I think we may, um, well, we'll see where the conversation goes. In my mind, I want to talk about vaccine, vaccination regimen, that type of stuff, and get some discussion going there. So if you're a Patreon and you're hearing this, uh, be sure to, to go to your Patreon profile, and you'll see the link there that you can click on to register. If you're not a supporter, you know, maybe it would be worth supporting us, even if it's for the month, month of March. Support us and be a part of that conversation. 
All right, so let's get on to our discussion tonight. Tonight is going in a little different direction. I was, this this was fun. This was a fun conversation. So I'm talking with Laura Wood from Honorbound Farm in Central Nebraska, and so they have uh, they have a farm, of course, and and raise kuni uh, kunis, but uh, we really spend a lot of time talking about print collateral and marketing material for our farms, for our farm businesses. So Laura is a graphic designer and she's a print shop manager. And so we kind of, we, we nerd out a little bit. We talk about, um, cause that, that was my background originally was in print management and print marketing. So, um, so we kind of nerd out and talk a little shop there, and uh, she provides some great insight as to what to consider when you're just getting started with your farm business and it comes to this print collateral. And, and I use that word a lot, but print collateral basically means you know, anything that's printed that, that you use for marketing. So this can be something as simple as a business card all the way up to a brochure or direct mail piece, all of that type of stuff is what we call print collateral. So join us in this conversation as we get into it. I think it's, um, I think it's you know, a very useful discussion for any of you all that, uh, that are starting a farm business or have a, uh, have a farm business engaged already. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Today, we are going to the central part of the country, to central Nebraska, and we're talking with Laura Wood with Honor Bound Farm. Welcome, Laura. Hi. Glad to be here. All right. All right. So, Laura, you are currently, I would assume you're not on the farm right now, are you? No, I'm currently at work. Oh, at work. So, yeah, good. So, hopefully the boss doesn't come in and catch you doing a podcast with uh, the Pastured Pig guy. <laughs> well, thankfully, I work for my mother-in-law and with my husband, so it makes it very easy to get time away. That's right. You are the boss, so it's not a yeah, problem. That's right. <laughs> very good. Well, I appreciate you sitting down and talking with us. So, so Laura, Laura's going to work out. This conversation is going to go in a different direction, and I think it's going to work out quite well, if I may say so, because Laura obviously has pastured pig experience, but Laura's also a graphic designer and cooperates a print shop that's what she was talking about at work so we're going to kind of marry these two topics together as we talk about uh, some marketing elements especially when we get into print collateral and graphic design so uh, y'all strap on this uh yeah strap in this will be a good one as we get uh get a little nerdy over in marketing but i think it's going to be interesting so all right so laura first of all tell me about honor bound farm what what's kind of the setup you have there um, so we have 21 acres in the canyons of Nebraska, so we are not flat, which is a big mis misconception out here. Um, oh, it makes fencing interesting, as you well know. Mm. Um, so, and we have right around 35 Cooney Cooney pigs on pasture right now. Um, they're working out well for us. Our clients really enjoy having smaller cuts of pork. So that's worked out really well in this area. Wow. So it sounds like you've really developed a, a niche there with, with the Cooney Cooney. And... Um... And thirty-five. That's 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 a pretty good amount. <laughs> so, yeah. So are that are those all feeders, or are that is there some breed stock in there, or, or what do you have going on there? No, there's breed stock in there. We have right around 20, 25 feeders, and then the rest are all breeders. Okay. Okay. Do you normally produce those as holes and halves, or you sell an individual cuts through USDA process, or? We are only doing individual cuts. Um, we have one local butcher here and we took our pigs to him and he was incredibly mean to them and said he wouldn't butcher our quote pet pigs and so we left and never went back so uh, we just do retail cuts now gotcha okay well there you go 
That's interesting. <laughs> interesting approach from a butcher. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, you never know. All right. So you said something there that that I, uh, this is going to educate me because um, I have to say I've never been to Nebraska, but in my mind I see Nebraska as flat as the table I'm sitting in front of. So you said canyons of Nebraska. So what? Explain that to me a little bit. Help a help a dumb Appalachian understand that geography. So when you drive through Nebraska, if you're on Interstate 80, which goes to the whole length of Nebraska, it is flat. There are cornfields and that is it. But once you head south or north of the interstate, north you have the sand hills, which are just rolling grasslands. And then south of the interstate, especially through central Nebraska, we have um, big, deep canyons that have developed um, from the glacier movements that come through the state. So we have um, probably at most on our property, we have about 100 foot uh, probably about 150 foot difference, but you know our neighbor's property, and they've got quite a bit different elevation changes than what we do, even. So interesting. So is this one of those things? This is what I always find fascinating about topography. So is this one of those things where the majority of the topography is is the higher elevation? So it's the the flat, and the canyon is the channel, and you guys kind of hang out on top. Uh, or are your houses and dwellings down in the canyon? Because here in West Virginia, most of us build down in the valleys, and the mountains are are left untouched. Sure. So we are, um, our house is above the Platte River Valley, which is where Interstate 80 is, but then we're still below the cornfields and stuff that are then up on the plateau. So we're kind of in the middle of them. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Kind of sounds a little, we, we went to Montana recently and there was, we noticed that, um, a town that we flew into was uh, was like that. It was set up on a, the whole airport and everything was on a plateau and the little town was down, down below that. So, it was interesting. So, yeah, so I would assume you talk about your relief or your elevation change maybe as much as 100 feet, but I assume it's probably pretty steep where it goes from point A to point B. Is it, are we talking vertical cliffs? Is it kind of rolling down the side of the hill or? Um, it's a little bit of both depending on which side of our property we're on. Okay. We have, um, we do have some hay fields, so we do have some areas that are fairly flat, but then the north side of our property is very much steep and up and downs and holes and craters places. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, give us a little backstory real quick. What, what made you decide A, to do pigs? Uh, you know, do you come from a farming background? And B, uh, why the Cooney Cooney? Why'd you start there? So um, I actually started out as a tree hugging hippie, like loved animals, never could kill them. It was a horrible thing. And then I married my husband, who's an avid hunter, and he kind of got me into understanding that it's a healthier way to eat. It's healthier for the animals. It's population control. It's helping with disease control. And the more I started learning about it, the more I wanted to raise our own food because I didn't like what was going on in the factory farms. Mm. So um, we started out with rabbits, which was our gateway animal into um, farming. We did that for a couple of years and then we got with pigs. Um, we start out with some the big pink um, Yorkshire type pigs and I hated them. They were mean and they were, they got out and you couldn't get them back and they were just terrible to work with. <laughs> So we ended up with the Cooney Coonies because they were a lot smaller, a lot more docile, they're easier on fences, and they're easier on our property specifically because they don't root near as much, and they're a lighter weight, and we have a lot of compaction issues. Mm. So they were a little bit easier for our farm. Yeah, yeah. So, so at what point did you decide, okay, this is working out well for our own food, let's, let's take this and, and grow this into a business enterprise? Um, that's kind of always start out with my goal when I, we started with pigs was to um, go into selling retail cuts. Um, we tried that with the Yorkshires and again, it, it was that whole thing was a disaster. We ended up losing money on all those. Um, so with the Cooney Coonies, we found a, a different market to, cause those were also um, dirt hogs. We didn't do pasture at that point. 
So we found a different market with the pasture pigs. We can charge a premium price for our pork and still and create a better product and actually make money this time instead of losing yeah, a bunch. Definitely. So that you said something there that just just amazes me with a Cooney Cooney, and and I've I've been around several farms that have few of them. Explain to our listeners that maybe haven't had Cooney Cooney before just just how easy fencing is with those that breed. Um, so our adults, we can keep in with one strand and it's actually even hard to move them because they, they just think everything is going to shock them. Even if we have gates, they still, they don't want to go near that fence. The teenagers are a little harder. The ones that are under a year old are a little harder to keep in. They're a little more pig headed, if you will. Um, and we do keep those in them with two strands. Um, but really they don't, if you have hard fences, they don't hardly even touch them. They just, they just go about their business. They're pretty lazy. Yeah, I mean, and you're probably talking when you say two strands, you're probably looking at what the highest strands, twenty four inches or less. <laughs> uh, the highest strand is about twelve inches. Yeah, exactly, that's right. <laughs> talking low and slow here. Yeah. Very much so. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And and so with the rotation, I assume you all have a rotational process. How how often are you finding that you have to rotate them because of um, because of the way they, they impact the soil? We are actually just starting our rotational process right. Previously, they've been on about three and a half acres and kind of had, we had two or, I think we have four paddocks at this point um, because of water. We had a really hard time getting water down there, um, but we actually just got a grant to put in water lines. So now that I have water down there next spring, we'll have rotational pastures to go through. Oh, very good. Very good. That's awesome. Well, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's take the conversation. Uh, let's marry the two topics together now here, because I think we could spend some time talking about this, especially with your experience um, in, in your day job. So, so how does the day job and the farm job collide with one another? And does, do they collide well? Um, they collide extremely well. And it's, it's nice because, again, I, I pay um, wholesale costs for all my print items. But um, you know, when you look at the world, everything is print and it's not everything is digital these days. So you have to have labels, you have to have signage, you have to have banners, you have to have brochures to hand out to your customers, business cards. So all of that stuff comes into play when you're at a farmer's market or, you know, you're out trying to meet customers and network with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So I assume you're taking that experience and, and resources that you have and you're applying that to your farm as needed as it, as it makes sense uh, when it comes to your own promotion of your product. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, so let's do this. I, and I think, you know, you never know where people are. So let's, let's start with a softball pitch. Describe, explain the term print collateral that, that you and I use constantly in our businesses. So what, what does that mean for, for the typical farmer listening? So print collateral can be anything that you use to promote your business. Okay. So give me some examples then. Uh, so business cards are probably the number one thing when you have a business, you need to have something to leave with your customers. Yeah. Um, aside from that, like you can do, um, brochures about your pork and about your business, um, signage. So if you have a banner at your farmer's market booth, or if you have, um, a sign with all your prices on it, anything like that, we actually even do, um, the canopy tents. You can get custom ones of those. So you can put your, your logo and your name and everything on the canopy tent. So you're above everybody else and you can see that when you're at a farmer's market. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, that's interesting. So w when, would you say that if somebody comes in and, and, and maybe this isn't something you all do in house or maybe you do, but if somebody comes in and says, I want my farm name on the side of my truck, is that technically print collateral? Would you say? Um, I would say so. And there's a couple ways to do it. I mean, 
it's not some of it's not even technically print some of it's cut vinyl yeah. which is a whole different thing but um you can also print and and put that on your side of your vehicle as well yeah very good very good so so in your experience and and with with um, the print industry and with farming if um if you met somebody that was just starting out maybe they're going to do a very similar operation to as yours and they were just starting out and they came to you and said laura what is the first thing i need when I start my business, when it comes to tangible physical marketing uh, products, uh, collateral there, w what would you recommend? Where would you recommend somebody start? Uh, the very first thing is you need a business card and it needs to be well-designed and it needs to be, it, it needs to look, it, it needs to have worth because I've been handed business cards that people have cut out of just regular printer paper and handed to me. And when your business card looks cheap, your business looks cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where when you look at business cards, you may think, well, that, that's such a throwaway item. Yeah. I, I could be handing these things out left and right. And, and maybe one gets retained for more than 24 hours. Maybe they end up in people's pockets that end up in the laundry, that type of thing. Uh, so I really don't want to invest a lot into a, to a business card. But as you pointed out, that's one of the very first things that people see when you have that interaction with them. So not only is the card the card need to look nice, but it needs to be produced well. And and I like what you said there, Laura. That that sometimes people will literally take a a piece of of text weight paper that they get out of their their printer at home, and they just sit down with a pair of scissors or whatever and start cutting out business cards and say, "Well, here's my business card," and it looks like you know some looks like you know when I was in grade school and they used the old mimeograph machine and just kept cranking stuff out. Yeah, so. Why people think that they're saving money in that sense, right? I'm sure you run into that all the time. That people, people say, "Well, how much business cards from you, Laura?" Well, this, well, I can just do that at home, right? So, how would you, how would you argue why that shouldn't be the case? Why it shouldn't be that I'm just going to go home and run those off? Expand on that a little bit more, if you would. So it's it's worth it to me to put that money up front and have a quality product. Because if you hand that to a customer and they're like, well, if they can't even afford real business cards, how is their meat any good? How are they, you know, how are they spending any money on their farm? It, it, it really reflects on the quality of your product. Um, and so spending the $20 up front to get 250 business cards is better than losing a customer who may have spent hundreds with you because you look cheap and, and it's not a good product. Right, right. And, and I really like what you said there. So $20 up front. So, so that's the thing. If any of us are the type of people that are going to step over dollars to save pennies, this is a perfect example of that. If you can't get off your wallet and spend $20 on a good set of business cards, then you need to realign and kind of readjust your priorities. Um, you know, having it professionally designed by a company like Laura, having it professionally produced like a company like Laura's versus you know, all the time it's going to take you to sit down with Word or Google Docs and try to figure out how to lay it out and you know, then print it off and try to cut it out and go to Staples and buy this, this you know, the pretty yellow paper that you like, all that, all that stuff that just isn't going to represent your business well. So, you know, hire a professional when it makes sense to hire a professional. And this is definitely one of those cases. So, Laura, what Well, that's the other thing that you mentioned was too, is your, is your time, how much is your time worth? Sure. If you're running around all day trying to get stuff, you know, again with word and going to staples and picking up all this stuff it just it takes so much longer than just having somebody do it in the same place yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah there's yeah there's there's things that just just make sense to outsource uh, especially when it comes to time 
So let's let's drill down. Let's double down on business cards because I, I I like the depth that we can go in this because um, you know. I, I'm picking up pretty quickly. Laura obviously knows what she's talking about on this stuff. So what would you recommend? What are the key things that need to be on a business card? Because I've met some people that want everything but the kitchen sink. So so what needs to be on a business card? So your business card needs, first and foremost, your business name and logo if you have one. If you don't have a logo, I recommend getting one. That's how you build brand identity, which is a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need a way for people to contact you. And you also need to have what your business does. We had a photographer come in once that just had his name and his phone number on his card. It's all he wanted, but he didn't tell anybody what he did. So then that gets stuck in their wallet. They're like, well, I don't remember who this guy was. So you need to have what your business is about on there as well. Yeah. Some, sometimes creative people get too creative <laughs> when it comes to, yeah, the, the photographer that cracks me up because I've run into that as well. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I just I just want my name, and and then people have to look at the card a certain way to even see my phone number, and yeah, you because know, it's it's tone on tone with maybe uh, you know, an aqueous print, so the aqueous is the only thing that shows my phone number. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's really creative, but nobody's gonna remember it. But anyway, I well, digress. And that's the thing too is you can get way too complicated and you get way too creative with it. It it needs to be fairly basic. People are going to look at it for a few seconds and put it in their pocket. Yeah. So it needs to be fairly simple. You don't need to you need to put your website on there so people can go to your website and read about all of your stuff that you do. You don't need to put that on your business card. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the business card, it really is. You know, we've, I've talked before on the podcast about your, you know, your elevator speech. If you've got 20 seconds to explain your farm to somebody, yeah, that's kind of the business card. The business card helps with that. You hand that business card to somebody. And like Laura said, they see your name, they recognize your logo, or they start to recognize your logo. So you're building brand identity. They know how to contact you. And they've got a general idea of what you do. Okay, do you sell flowers or do you sell food? Okay, I see you sell pork. That makes sense. So do you, do you have a funny business card story that sticks in your mind that that's just made you kind of shake your head and, and say, oh my goodness. Um, usually I run into printers that have all kinds of stories like that. Anything coming to mind? We have all kinds of stories as well. Um, the, the one that I happened just recently here, I was at the farmer's market and we have a local um, grass-fed beef company who has been around for years and they their beef is very good um they've made a big name for themselves and they handed me a business card and it was printed on like a really thin kind of brown craft paper and it was printed out of their you could tell it was printed on their home printer and they cut it out with scissors and it looked it was a wrong size it wasn't even the right <laughs> shape and it was i just kind of had to laugh i said you know you spend all this money on your advertising and your promotion and you can't buy business cards yeah yeah my goodness that, that's funny yeah we have uh we had a, a processor that we'd work with um in the past several years and and he's i would just call him a good old boy and that's not derogatory or anything it's just just a good old boy right and uh he loved his tagline. His tagline as a butcher, as an animal processor was, processor was nobody beats our meat. And, you know, he, he's, he's, he has junior high humor like I do. So you, you, every time we talk about it, he just kind of sits around and snickers and says, yeah, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, I've got that on my business card, got it on the back of my truck, all that type of stuff. And it's just one of those things. It, it's, it may be funny if there's a, if a couple of us good old boys standing around, we may snicker and say, yeah, junior high humor, that's funny, blah, blah, blah. But I hear so many people that just get turned off from that because they think, you know, it's, it's the, the processor's kind of a, a masculine dominated world anyway. So it's, 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 it's one of those things that where 
where some women are, are maybe a little uh, uh, intimidated to walk in there and, and tell them exactly what they want and what they need. And then they've got this thing, uh, yeah, this tagline, and it just, just builds that uncomfortableness. And he can't figure out why he can't really relate to a lot of his customers. It's like, well, because they're not all good old boy humor like, like you are. And it just, it just won't just won't click with him. And I just, I just find that as interesting. It's like, you know, you want to take that tagline and run with it and you need to wad it up and throw it in the trash. <laughs> okay. And there is something to be said for having a shocking tagline, but it also will hurt you, you know, on, on some ends of your business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if it was one of those things where, where he was, uh, you know, he doesn't, but if he was a deer processor, maybe that was the lion's share of his processing where he knows that, okay, maybe 80% of my client base is going to be, um, you know, male, good old boy dominated type of thing, then okay, you know, play, play to your audience type of thing. But he, he's, you know, was kind of wondering why he can't get into some of these more professional areas. And, you know, it's not the smoking gun, but it's one of those things that play into that to say, you, know, you just got to know your audience. Alrighty. So, um, so I don't want to get too nerdy here, but you, you said it a couple times. How important is paper stock, paper quality in business cards and maybe even any print collateral? Is it one of those things, hey, just, just grab any paper you can find or, or is there a method to the madness in choosing paper stock? Um, there's definitely a method to the madness. It depends on what you're using it for. So business cards you want to have on a heavier, thicker stock and that can be matte, that can be gloss, that can be um, UV coated, which is a really high gloss. Um, you can have, um, there's now a velvet texture you can put on your paper, which feels very nice. So, you know, there's, it lends credibility to your business when you have a good thick paper stock for your business cards. Now, if you're doing, let's say an appointment card and you need to write on it and you don't want gloss paper, you don't want anything that's UV coated because you can't use a pen on it. So you'd want to stick with matte coated on that. Very if good. you're trying to like show off your photos of your farm and you really want those to pop, then your gloss or UV coated is going to be better for that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. And that's definitely something I think we need to restate uh, for people to hear that. So a lot of people like to take their business cards and they'll either write appointments on the back or they'll put a couple extra notes or, you know, Hey, here's my cell phone. I don't give it out to everybody, but here it is for you. And if you've ordered the super high glossy UV coated cards on both sides, then, then you're going to have to have a Sharpie with you all the time, or you're just going to be out of luck. So you just thinking that through, and that's where a professional service like Laura, you could go into her office and sit down and say, okay, let's talk about these things. You can touch and feel the stock and be able to get an idea and, and kind of help navigate. And that way, when you think, well, it's just business cards, this shouldn't take, this shouldn't have a lot of decisions associated with it. It can, you know, you don't want to get bogged down in it, but you also want to think it through and how you're going to use that. Uh, because as Laura said, you know, that's one of your first ways to get your, your brand in front of people. Okay, so um, so after business cards, so after you've talked them into business cards, I, I know you, I know you do graphic design as well, so I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this. So, so how many times, Laura, do you run into somebody when you say, "Hey, do you have a logo?" Yeah, I do have a logo. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to you this way, and you get it in every way other than the way that you can use. So, so how, how would you suggest uh, people when it comes time to using a logo or having a logo designed? If it's you know nephew Timmy down in the basement who happens to have a Mac computer and he's designing your logo, how do, how do you navigate that with people? Um. So. The biggest thing when people are starting to design a logo is I tell them that simple is better. Um, and you have to think about it for every application. So if you're trying to make t-shirts, 
and you have a six color logo, that's going to be very expensive. If you have a one color logo, it's going to be a lot easier to work with or even a two color logo. Um, and as far as the file types, EPS, which is a, it's a vector form or a PNG are usually the best, um, PDF also. Um, but anything that's a JPEG, they're almost always terrible quality and you can't enlarge them. So if you're trying to do wide format or banner or a poster, it's harder to work with. So we really suggest, um, usually EPS is our, our preferred file for logos. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in, and that is spot on the, um, the idea. If you're, if you're having a logo designed by somebody, the simplicity is always better. I, I always recommend a two color logo that, to have a primary color and a complementary color and, and usually one of those colors is black that's how i like to embrace it let's keep it simple black and another color and uh, you know if you want to have a super fancy logo then wait till you have a couple you know hundred thousand dollar budget for marketing if, if you want to rebrand at that point but start simple if somebody's designing it definitely make sure they're designing it in vector um, and yeah, we won't get into the minutia of vector and, and raster but plots and points are vector uh, rasters drawn with pixels and like Laura said if you take a JPEG which is what almost everything on the internet is JPEG and PNG and you want to you want to take that logo and put it on a business card it may look okay on that business card because it's only an inch by inch but when you take that same logo and say hey Laura can you print a big sign that I want to put here in front of my store my farm store so people can see our logo and, and then Laura says no your logo is going to look like crap well I don't understand because it looks fine on the business card well yeah we're trying to take the same JPEG and blow it up, you know, six thousand percent. It's just, it's just not going to work with a vector plots and paths. Then you can blow it up the size of a billboard, and you don't have any degrade there. So if little Timmy's designing your logo for you down in the basement, make sure he's at least using vector software in that situation. And then with a vector, that EPS uh, file, um, or even a vector PDF, then you can export that as a JPEG for web, a PNG, if you need clear background, all those type of things, you've got all that option, but keep that EPS as your master file. All right, so have you had people come in lately with their logo on a napkin or on a piece of paper or an old letterhead and say, hey, can you use this? And you gotta scan or redraw and do all that kind of stuff? We we do, um, not terribly often, but we do get some of that and it, Sometimes that's a more complicated process than just starting from scratch. Um, but we can do it. It's not my favorite thing to to deal with by any means, right. but we, we can do that. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those things where you want to throw out your hourly rate and say, yeah, here's my hourly rate. Here's what it's going to cost to take your logo and do that. And usually it runs people off, but then you just have to say, okay, am I going to take a loss on this so I can get the print work from it? Because, uh, yeah, this, this logo is an absolute train wreck and a guy's not going to pay to have it redrawn. But anyway some more of our woes that we run into, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, so so good logo, EPS format, good business cards, good stock, well-designed. <clears throat> what what would you say is next? And I know that there's so many variables to this because, you know, do you have a farm store? Do you go to, do you go to uh, um, farmer's markets? Are you just internet only? But, but what would you recommend or what have you run into that you, that you have next after your business card? Um, after the business card, I've run into a lot of people want something to be able to take home with them that has a little more information about your business. So whether you're talking about a rat card, which is usually a four by nine double-sided card, or a brochure, um, both those things have enough space and then you can provide a, a better explanation of your business and what you provide. Um, our specifically, we have a um, our price list and then we also have boxes we put together for people. 
And so we have all that printed out. People can just take that home with them. That way they don't have to worry about taking a picture of it or trying to find our website later. They just have all the information on a little handout that we can send with them. Yeah, yeah. And and the neat thing about that, I mean, that's where it really just opens up at that point. Because with, with a rack card, you know, four by nine, as, as Laura mentioned, you know, two-sided, all this stuff is in full color now. You know, if you're if you're looking at trying to save money and going two color or, or one color in that situation, usually, correct me if I'm wrong in your situation, but usually it doesn't. These days, it's not really a money saver because, especially in low volume, we're, we're talking about the digital world. We're not talking about traditional ink on paper. So uh, if somebody comes in and says, hey, I want 250 brochures, then full color is going to cost the same or maybe even cheaper than if somebody just said a two color or that two color is going to be built in full color anyway. Yeah, so if you're under, usually under a thousand of anything, it's going to be run digitally um, anymore that it's just so much easier and faster. Um, above that, you know, if you're doing envelopes and you want to do just your black return address and you're doing 10,000 of them, definitely go offset with, with just the one color. But if you're just doing a handful of things, it's easier to do it full color and in digital. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I like the idea. So, so this kind of gets back into, I mean, obviously any marketing when we're talking about imagery, so whether we're talking web or we're talking brochure, rack cards, whatever the case may be, but imagery is going to be key. And imagery is, is going to be, there's similar parameters as to your logo in the sense that it needs to be high quality imagery. So if you've gone outside and you've taken a picture of your beloved pig and it's a beautiful setup, the sun's just right, the grass is, is just the right height, there's flowers all around him, and you got this great picture, but for some reason your phone or your little cheap digital camera is, has produce something that's very low resolution, then it's it's not going to have a lot of um, uh, compatibility with uh, with printing. It may work on the web, but it, it, it may not work in printing. So Laura, what parameters do you usually give people when they're they're having you lay out a brochure for them and they want to they want to give you images to go with that? Um, anymore, most cell phones will take higher quality images, at least enough to use in a brochure or a business card. Um, not so much if you're getting into banners in the wide format kind of thing. Um, so cell phone pictures are usually okay for, for the smaller print items. Um, anything bigger than that, you're going to need to have a, a digital camera that takes good quality pictures. And you can pick those up used on eBay for five, 600 bucks that are, you know, you get a really pretty good camera for that amount of money these days. So we really recommend that if you're going to do a lot of photography or, or pictures of your business or you really want that to be a main selling point is how pretty your area is then you need to invest in a, a better camera or hire a photographer yeah okay so let me bounce this scenario off of you so i come into your office and want you to lay out a brochure and i give you a thumb drive or i email you some really really awesome farm images and say hey i found these high resolution farm images on the internet and they they're going to work because it's you know it's that's the same kind of pig I have and and that grass kind of looks like my grass so can you do all this do all this brochure with these really awesome pictures that I just happened to find on the internet how do you respond to that <laughs> um well a couple things one those pictures are unless you bought them from like Shutterstock or Adobe stock usually those pictures are copyrighted and you can't use them um if you pay for the rights you can still use them that's not a big deal however it's kind of inauthentic and especially where in the pasture pig world in the farm world you're trying to sell yourself and your farm and how good your animals have it and if you're not going to show people that it, it kind of breeds a, a a feeling of that you're not being completely honest with your customer absolutely yeah absolutely there's 
there's an element, and I, and I love the fact that you took that, the legal side and, of course, the representation side. So, first of all, it's illegal, and uh, you, you don't want to do that. Now, the chances are, if you're a small farm and wherever, and you've got 250 brochures printed with an illegal image, it's, it's not like the image police are going to find you. But um, start using that on the web where people can start tracking those things, and uh, then you can run into trouble. I, I have friends that have faced thousands of thousands of dollars of fines for using somebody's uh, photography uh, inappropriately. So we always say just don't do it. It's not worth the risk. If you're going to go with uh, um, some stock photography or rights managed, as Laura said, use iStock, Adobe Stock. There's all kinds of stock services out there that you can pay for. Um, but also this, this representation, this misrepresentation of your farm. If you've got a beautiful pristine picture that isn't yours, it's not your pigs, it's not your farm, then you are tearing away from your uh, representation of who you are and what you are. And as, as Laura said correctly, that you know, you're selling yourself uh, as much as you're selling your product. So if people are like, oh, this is great. I want to see this, this beautiful field where this picture was taken. And they, they come to your farm or they see video or something on social media. It's like, well, I don't see anything like that. It, you know, it really becomes a bait and switch. And it can really start to tear down the trust that your customer has in you. All right. So what else about, what about, bro, uh, hmm. let's, let's talk about copywriting, Laura, because I, I think that's always interesting. So so what kind of issues do you run into when somebody says, hey, I want a brochure and here's my pictures and can you guys just come up with something good about my farm? I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you navigate? Do most of customers come in with their copy all written or do you guys have to sit down and wordsmith stuff? Uh, we sit down and wordsmith a lot of stuff. They'll give us a broad idea and we kind of go from there. Um, a lot of times I will just sit and ask people questions relentlessly until I get the answers I need. <laughs> um, some people can't sit down and just write a whole paragraph on their on their business. And so, but we tend to ask the right questions and kind of figure out what they need and what they're trying to achieve. And, and um, you know, going into a brochure, especially you need to have a goal in mind. Are you trying to sell more product? Are you trying to sell a service? Are you trying to just let people know about your business? It kind of, so you have to have a goal in mind. And from there we can kind of work and figure out what you're trying to say in your brochure. Yeah. 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 And, that, and, and that's a good point that Laura makes that, um, if you say, well, I'm not a writer, I, I can't even begin to, um, format my thoughts on paper or, or on a Word document to descri describe my farm, then that's, again, another benefit of having a service uh, provider like Laura to do that, to say, well, yeah, we're just going to sit down and do a quick interview, and we're going to talk about what you do. So whether you're a farmer or whether you, you, know, you sell widgets, uh, being able to have that conversation to say, yes, here's what I think separates my product from, from competition, or here's what I think makes it so unique, or here's what we love about it. And the beauty of this, if you take the time to sit down with somebody who knows how to write copy, have them help you write copy, then that copy can be used for other things. So, uh, so you can say, well, Laura, thank you for doing that. And I'll pay you for your service. I would like to use that same copy on the website I'm developing because you, know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel at that point. If, if it's the about us section of your website and you want to use the little introductory paragraph from your uh, brochure that you had created, then then that makes sense. Or vice versa, you you bring copy from the website and say, hey, Laura, can you use this to be the, the little blurb about our farm? Um, all right, so um, what else, Laura? Is there anything else brochure-wise uh, that or rack card that we want to talk about as, as far as um, ideas or suggestions? 
Um, no, again, use a, you know, use a quality paper and, you know, don't fold it yourself. Have them fold it for you because it's going to be nice, <laughs> sharp lines, you know, it's going to be folded square. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that that's one of my favorite is uh, somebody runs something off on cardstock and they want to do a, a half fold and it's, you know, it's long grain paper and they, they sit down there and start folding it uh, across the across the grain and can't figure out why they get this crinkled edge and well let's we could sit down and have a bindery discussion and talk about scoring paper and short grain paper and all that type of stuff and bore everyone to tears but there is a science to everything and and printing is no different there's there's a reason why there are professional printers because they know all the little nuances when it comes to paper and i love if we want to put everybody to sleep let's have a let's have a 20 minute conversation about different different weights and stocks like what's the difference between 20 pound text and 60 pound text and, and 80 pound cover and 100 pound <laughs> well so my kids always make fun of me because i have worked with so much paper that we'll go to a restaurant i'll pick up the menu and i'm like oh this is 80 pound gloss text and i can smell it and i'm like oh this is from titan like i can tell you pretty much the brand just by the smell of the paper so my kids always give me crap for smelling paper when we go pl- exactly. into public places Here comes mom paper sniffer yep yep yep, that, that's yep. <laughs> yeah there, there's just i i gotta say the, the print breed the, the 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 breed of people that are printers at work in the printer they're just a different breed and yeah <laughs> um some of them are the most fun people to hang out with and some of them are just so uptight but it is they are interesting uh, it, it is an interesting interesting market and, uh, you know, we all thought, uh, well, I was in the print industry in the late 90s, and, and when the web was coming out, everybody said, like, oh, print's going to be dead in just a couple of years. And, and, uh, but yet, here it is, still sticking around. So, yeah. so with that, Laura, all right, so this is going to show my age here, but let's talk about direct mail and why, and maybe you don't agree with it, but why direct mail is still a living, breathing entity that needs to be considered for our, even for our farms. So I love direct mail. Um, it's one of my favorite things to print. I don't know why. I just really like doing the postcards and the address lists and everything. But direct mail is so you can get so specific with direct mail. You can target. You can do very broadly, and you can target whole neighborhoods or mail carrier routes, or you can drill down so far that you can have income, you can have interest, you can have people who are um, more more likely to donate. Uh, you can do age groups. I mean, you really can get into pretty much any demographic you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the one thing the one thing I'll say about direct mail and and, and being a you know, in a in an advertising business that covers uh, pretty much most of the medium is marketing is like water. It seeks the path of least resistance, or good marketing should seek the path of least resistance. So as people's uh, inboxes, their email boxes fill up as their Facebook feeds fill up um, with all of this marketing because that's what everybody's chasing. And then you realize, okay, I get a lot less mail in my mailbox because people aren't doing direct mail. Well, just consider that, that if, if, you know, the whole point is to try to find a way to get your message in front of people. And if everybody's doing one thing and hardly anybody's doing the other, then shift over to the other. <clears throat> And that's why we've seen in, in my market and in, in where we are, we are seeing a resurgence on direct mail, especially, as Laura pointed out, because we can do such pinpoint uh, target marketing with our data. And with digital services, we can do variable data within that direct mail. So it can be personalized. So uh, how does that apply to a farm? Well, let's say you've got a, 
you're, you're going to provide a new service. You've been providing pork and beef for years, and you're now going to add uh, pastured poultry. So you can communicate with your um, customer base if you don't have email addresses for them or there's no other way to communicate clearly. You can send them information, and it could be uh, variable data. Hey, Troy, you, know, you usually buy pork from us. I want to introduce the fact that we now have chicken, and because you're a regular returning customer, certain discount, whatever the case may be. All of that can be data-driven and produced uh, on that card or that, that letter or uh, brochure that you're mailing, self-mailer, I guess, would what we'd want to call it there. So a lot of options there that, that make direct mail um, a viable choice. But would you say... Well, and with direct mail, yeah. too. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, with direct mail, too, you can actually even personalize it. So if you know you have a customer who only buys pork from you, you can put a picture of a pig on theirs. And if you have a customer who does beef, you can put a picture of a cow on theirs. You can get you can tailor it to your customer in a very specific way. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, very, very, very targeted. Uh, and it all comes back to your data. And of course, this is a whole other discussion. But when it comes to tracking your customer data or keeping track, I'll say keeping track of your customer data, that's why it's so important. So even if it's a spreadsheet where you have um, you know, people's names and their email addresses and uh, maybe purchase history, but you just keep getting additional information and use that to your advantage when it comes time to communicate with them. So, yeah, yeah. so you, you said something that, that I think is interesting. In fact, just this morning was doing a walk sequence research for, uh, for a friend, <clears throat> and it was actually tied. Last night we were doing our first uh, Patreon top tier discussion, and we were discussing um, data capture and, and customer acquisition. And it kind of got us down this rabbit trail of talking about um, carrier route direct mail. And this one individual is like, man, there's there's a real high rent district neighborhood that we'd like to get our product in. I know the address of, of one of the houses in there because they, they are a customer. But I'd like the 400 other houses in that neighborhood to consider buying our products. And so just with you know, within an hour discussion, we were able to pull up the data and I you know, showed him, okay, here's how many households there actually are, here's the median income, here's the median home value, here's how many uh, percentage of houses with uh, children present, all that type of stuff. And, and then show that, hey, you can do a direct mail piece to make sure it hits every single house in that carrier route. So usually in the neighborhood, not exactly, right, because carrier routes aren't neighborhood specific, but being able to saturate that entire neighborhood and introduce people uh, to the product. So that's, you know, with that, every house or a walk sequence that gives you know, a cheaper postage rate um, and it gives you the opportunity to really pinpoint an area. So in that situation, the individual could produce about 500 business cards and literally hit 500 people that he would consider his ideal customer base just because of the demographic information we know. So are you doing any direct mail um, yourself personally for the farm or even for the print business? Um, we are for the print business. My farm is not probably big enough quite yet to handle. Like I, I could, I couldn't handle a huge influx of customers. So we're just growing slowly and kind of taking our time. Um, but for the print business, we actually have our Christmas card going out. We're getting ready to. Um, we just bought a new building, so we're getting ready to move here in January. Very nice. So we actually did a direct mail piece that's got um, like Merry Christmas, and then also check out our new address. We'll be there January fifth. So. Yeah. We're using that to communicate with our, all of our current customers. Well, yeah, what a perfect way to communicate. So the Christmas card to, uh, to say thank you for being a customer. And oh, by the way, here's some vital information. We are, we are upgrading. We are going to a new location. So uh, yeah, a lot of value in that. 
And, you know, that comes back. At, you know, I love the fact that you mentioned that as well. So, you know, with direct mail, you can send you can send emails all day long if you've got email addresses and emails are that they're just emails. Um, but there's something about getting something, especially this time of year, getting something in the mail from somebody that's a handwritten note. You know, hey, Troy, thank you so much for buying our pork. Uh, thanks for being a pork customer with Red Tool House. We really appreciate that. We hope and pray you have a very Merry Christmas. You know, that can go a long way. That doesn't necessarily translate into sales, but that is that constant communication, that, that regular communication touch point with your customer that, that helps with that customer retention that they think, well, I, I could probably go somewhere else and get pork, but I don't think I'm going to because I really like Kelly and Troy. I really like what they've done, and they just seem to be nice people, and they maybe can't even put their finger on it, but it's because, hey, they get, uh, you know, we get these communications, Christmas cards, birthday cards, whatever the case may be, and that's where that extra special touch comes in handy. Um, what do you think, what do you think, Laura, when, when, you, when you have that discussion of, the viability of email compared to the viability of, of tangible print material. You know, pros and cons on both sides, I'm sure, but but what are some of your arguments there? They definitely both have merit and they, and they both have um, specific applications. For me, printing is, people like to have a tangible item. People get so tired of everything being digital that when they actually can able to feel your postcard and hold it and put it on the refrigerator so they remember to call you about getting pork, it's there. So that's that's my biggest argument for direct mail is that it, it's a tangible object. Yeah, and and even yeah, there's in in getting creative with some of these things, and uh, I'm sure Laura could speak into this as well. But you know, there's certain things. So let's say you're at a farmer's market, right? And you want you want somebody to have a takeaway. Uh, so they maybe don't buy off of you, or they do. Maybe they just buy one pack of pork chops, and you want them to try to be a returning customer. So. What you do in that retail bag you give them when you put their purchase in there, you also slide in a maybe a rack card that has a little, this is going to date me again, a little cheap magnet on it like the old phone books used to have. Every, you know, I don't know if even people remember phone books, but when they did phone books, they used to have magnets. The lawyers usually would plaster magnets on the outside of the phone book as an advertising. But that hard, tangible piece they can bring home and the goal is if it's something they stick on their on their refrigerator. So if it's got your brand, your information, your contact information, and they've stuck it on the refrigerator, that's going to have a whole lot more uh, outreach opportunity than an email sitting in their inbox. And so just type of things to think about that if you want to make sure people can remember you, remember your brand, then you need to find a way to get something in their hand and something of value uh, that, that they can use um, longer than just the time that they they're they're transacting with you and that's where that'd be a whole nother discussion i assume you guys probably do some ad specialty items to some degree yeah we do um promo promo products as well so yeah. you know we just had somebody order um 250 calendars from us yeah so at the end of the year she does that every year and so all of her customers get little calendars with her name and business on it and then they keep those again they're little sticky back things so they just stick them on their desk or their refrigerator and they have them all year yeah and i love that because I, it's funny, we, we do a big calendar order for a financial planning company. And, you know, people say, who uses paper calendars anymore? I mean, what in the world? But people do. People still mm-hmm. like that tangible. Yes, I've got a calendar on my phone I keep in my pocket all the time. But there's something about a calendar stuck on the side of the refrigerator that we can go through. The boys can see it. My wife can see it. People mark it off. And there's just something about those those tangible elements 
And I think it fits in really well with the genre of the farm too, right? I mean, it's not that we say, and we're being old fashioned, we're not Luddites, we want to embrace technology, but there's something that really is congruent with slow food, regenerative agriculture, and some more traditional methods. You know, like to me, the Christmas card with an old farm picture on it, and maybe your pig in a nice setting, whatever the case may be. To me, that just seems more, more real than that same information disseminated in an email. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would agree. It adds authenticity, I think, to your to your farm, and that you're you're just trying to be who you are. And it, it, it yeah, it kind of goes back to the whole old fashioned way. But people still long for that way. It's it's so crazy and fast paced these days. And again, everything is digital that sometimes going back to the way things used to be is okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so don't, don't find yourself stuck in a rut again. Um, probably one of the biggest things that we try to tell people when, when they want to just start marketing is they, they think, well, what do I like? So I, I like this, I like email or I like podcasts or I like these things. So that's what I just assume all my customers are going to like. And that's not necessarily the case. So, you know, don't write something off just because you don't, you think you're not going to like it or you just don't like it. Oh, I hate that I get direct mail in my mailbox. Okay. But uh, not everyone is like that. You may say, well, I prefer email, but not everyone is like that. So be willing to explore these options, look at data, uh, talk to a professional like Laura and, and their company to, to get some insight in that and educate yourself on the processes. Well, Laura, I want to be cognizant of your time. My goodness, you and I could probably sit here and talk for hours about the um, the delicate intricacies of the print business. But um, if if somebody wants to find out, let's, let's do this. Let's let's do a double tag here. So let's first talk about your print business. If somebody wants to ask you some questions or maybe communicate with you, maybe even try to uh, to have you do some design work for them or produce something, it's it's a brave new world. I'm sure you can ship all over the country without any issue. So how does somebody find out about your print business? Um, so you can go to our website, which is proprintingandgraphics.com. You say proprintingandgraphics? Um, yep, proprintingandgraphics, yep. Okay, okay. Um, we're also on Facebook, but the one thing I will say is, is, as much as I would hate to lose that on business, it also behooves you to work with your local print shops. Um, I'm probably not going to buy your pork, but that print company might. Very good. And it's the same thing with Vistaprint. Don't go online and get your stuff done. Go walk into a print <laughs> shop and talk to those people. It's another opportunity to network. You know, I absolutely love that you said that. I, I wanted to give the opportunity to to obviously promote your business uh, I, uh, because you're coming on here and sharing some good stuff with it. But I absolutely love that. Um, yeah, the small print companies in your neighborhood, in your community, they're a small business just like we are. You know, we're, we're farming, we're raising pork. You know, they're trying to provide for their families by producing print quality print items. So going in and having that relationship with local is going to be tremendous. So um, consider that as as you know, the way that you'd want people to consider buying your farm products instead of going to Walmart. Very good. Very but good. a lot of times will also save you money too because that print shop knows they will learn your business and so they will figure out what you want and what your design ideas are like. And you know we've had people come in who have misspelled their kids' names on things and we fix that for them <laughs> so the Christmas card doesn't go out with their kids' names spelled wrong. Right, right, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, Vistaprint, those type of things, you're going to get exactly what you give them. And there's there's yep. really no margin for error there. 
and it's going to ship on the date that they say it's going to ship on, um, all that type of stuff. So, you know, it, there's pros and cons to everything, but man, if, if it makes sense to, to, to fit in your budget and to, to incorporate into your business structure, then, then business model, then look at, look at supporting local in those situations. Um, because there, there are some really good printers out there. Uh, as as the industry has declined a bit, I mean, it, it's not the heyday that it once was, but as it's declined a bit, there's still very, very well-experienced people out there. And the margins are a little tighter, paper's a little more expensive, all that type of stuff. So supporting those people would be beneficial, and you're probably going to get some really good experience from somebody who's been in the industry for a while and uh, and get some really good input and advice from that. All right, Laura, do you, do you have, uh, for the farm, do you have a, a marketing online presence or anything for the farm yet? Or is that something that's still developing? Uh, nope, we have a website, okay. which is honorboundfarm.com. Honorbound Farm. And then we're also on Facebook. I gotcha. Is there a military background to Honorbound Farm? Um, so my husband is an army vet. Okay, very good. And um, he got injured, and so um, we do, we now work with a lot of disabled veterans groups, and we try to um, you know, we'll do giveaways and that kind of stuff to help support their, their programs. Hmm. Wow. Did he, was he, uh, did he do a tour overseas? No, he actually, um, got injured during basic training. He, um, his parachute did not deploy when he jumped out of the plane. Oh, gracious. So he ended up breaking both of his knees. So. Oh my goodness. That sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Well, Thank him for his service and his sacrifice to, uh, to obviously help defend our country. Man, I, I hate that. That that had to hurt. <laughs> that had to hurt real bad. It, it did hurt. And he 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 also has always dreamed about being a military career, and that ended it. So that was a very hard thing for him too. But yeah, we try to give back to the community now as much as we can. Very good. Very good. Well, that sounds great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was a, it was a joy talking to you and. Thank you for letting me geek out on uh, on print stuff. There's there's only so many people I can sit around and talk an hour to about uh, the the intricacies of print. So I, I appreciate you doing that. Oh yeah, no, this is this is great. My family gets real tired of it. So <laughs> exactly, opportunity to vent for sure. Very good. Yep. <laughs> well, Laura, I pray you have a great week, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All right, for those of you that have dozed off, I hope that I don't wake you up. Maybe I should talk in a much soothing, more calm voice. If you're driving, then please don't be asleep. <laughs> no, I, I know, um, wow, you know, an hour-long discussion of print collateral may seem, well, I, I hope that was, I'm very biased. I hope that conversation was stimulating for you all, and it, at least there was a nugget of something to extract from that. I really appreciate Laura and her and her take on a lot of this. And, and I think it's very vital to understand the nuances of this one facet of marketing when it comes to your business, because man, you can get upside down in that stuff so quick, spend money on design, spend money on print and not fully understand how you're going to disseminate it or how it's going to be used. And then uh, you really be out of a lot of your hard earned money. So um, I hope you all found value in that. Well, as always, if you'd like to be on the podcast, by all means, just reach out to me. You can email me, Troy, at redtoolhouse.com, or you can go to thepasturedpig.com and use our uh, 
use our podcast contact form, a little bit of pre-screening info to put in there, and I will give you a shout. I appreciate the patience on some that had uh, reached out earlier this month, or even, I guess, maybe goodness, into January. And I try to respond to everybody in these batches. So I sit down and look at my calendar and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to squeeze four or five podcast interviews in for a couple, in a couple week window. And that's when I respond to everyone uh, all at once. So um, if, if you haven't heard from me, um, then uh, just, just please be patient and I will reach out to you. If you haven't heard from me and you want to just ping me, say, hey, uh, are you still alive? You still out there? Uh, by all means, feel free to do so. You won't aggravate me and I'll just let you know, hey, yeah, I'm trying to get things put together, get some details there and dates nailed down. Well, I pray everyone have a great week. And for those of you that are in the, the Northeast right now, buckle down with this snow coming and uh, keep your fingers crossed. Spring's almost here. All right, take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.